you know, I know student ministries who have their own student ministry website, not just their own web page, but the website. And so how are we interacting? Are we collecting data? Are we doing sign-ups where children can sign up for things? And if so, that raises a whole other specter of issues uh, under the Children's Online Privacy Act, or COPA. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Hey, Josh, how's it going today? Going well, man. Back, good to be back in the groove. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, well, and even weather outside's warming up. It feels feels like spring here, you know, so it's it's encouraging. <laughs> Stick around. I'm going to go ahead and be be the find the <laughs> find the cloud in every silver lining here, Brian. Uh, stick around. It's, it, it'll, it'll change. You're like, oh, it's 30 degrees in the morning, and then it's, you know, 60 in the day, but it'll get colder. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So good stuff. I, I'm, I'm glad it's warming up. I'm oh, ready, yeah. ready to spend a little bit more time outdoors. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, we are talking about an indoor thing today, which is better websites for churches, right? Yeah, I mean, you could you got a website in your pocket now, so that is true. internet in your pocket. Here, I didn't even think about that. That is very true, uh, but it's <laughs> something that you don't. I mean, church leaders don't think about other than the fact of like making it look good, yep. right? We want it to look good, and so I myself, I was telling you before this, I'm I'm excited to kind of talk about this because I've designed several church websites, nonprofit websites, uh, but there's a lot of things in this episode that I think other church leaders they need to know and they're probably not thinking about, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm really excited to kind of jump into that. So. So why don't we do that? Why don't we just kind yeah, of jump in and do it? That, that sounds good to me. That, that wasn't a shameless plug for Go Rogue or anything, was it? No, 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 no. Of course not. I what? mean, never is. But you can check us out at GoRogueX.com. But anyway, back Absolutely. to... Hey, go, just, just everybody go do it. <laughs> just, just go ahead and put pause and go over and check out GoRogueX.com. Absolutely. There you go. Thank, hey, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. It's always a pleasure. And obviously producing the podcast here for you guys every single week. We love it. Uh, but thank you, Josh. Yeah. But anyway, back to the uh, the design part. And not just the design, but obviously way more intensive stuff when it comes to church websites and things that we need to be aware of. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who would have thought that, that when we're talking about the law and the church that now we've got to talk about the church's website. But the law touches everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there are laws that govern every aspect of what the church does including your websites and the things that you can do on your website. So we've got to talk about those things and make sure that we're in compliance and make sure that we're doing uh, right by the people who are going to be uh, interacting with us online. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right, so let's jump into it. So better church websites have accessible privacy policies. Yeah, you know, a lot of times, and you'll see this on a whole bunch of different uh, websites when you go out there, you'll see, hey, we've updated our privacy policy, and there's a pop-up, and they make you click on it, and you got to see it, and, you know, all these other things. we we got to have those in church policies. websites as well. We have to have privacy policies. And and really what a privacy policy is, it just tells the world exactly uh, how you're going to be interacting with somebody online because people value their privacy online. And this is a huge deal. We deal with it every day. Uh, you know, we hear about data security breaches. Well, a lot of that has to do with data privacy uh, and somebody's privacy online. And this is uh, exactly what we're talking about today. So uh, the first one that we're looking at uh, when we talk about privacy policies, we've got to know how the church website works. Okay, what's the what's the whole point? How does how does this website work? Is this just communicating to you uh, events the church or information about the church? Are you collecting data? Those are things that need to be in your privacy policy. And if you're collecting data, you need to tell people what data you're collecting. Are you collecting their address and their telephone numbers and uh, you know their IP addresses? Are you are you using cookies of any sort uh, on your website? Uh, what are you doing and how are you tracking somebody when they're on your website? Are 
you tracking which pages they jump to uh, and what the, the kind of the click traffic is through your website so that they know or so that you know uh, you know what web pages are, are effective and which ones are not, what's popular, what are people looking for when they come to your website so that you can tailor that content that you're putting on your website. If you're doing that, you need to tell somebody that you're tra- click, uh, tracking their, their click traffic through your website. How does your church use the data that they collect? Okay, what are you going to do with their phone number if you ask for it? What are you going to do with their email address or their IP address? What are you going to do with that that click traffic through your website? You need to tell people what you're doing with that. You need to tell people where that data is stored. Do you have it stored on-site at your church? If so, is it secure? Do you have it off-site? Is it in the cloud? If so, is it secure? People want to know that, and people need to know that. Uh, who controls that data? Do they have the right to control that information? Or do you have the sole right to control that information? Uh, either way you go on that, you just need to tell people what uh, you know who controls that data. Do you ever sell that data? Uh, are you selling email addresses? And believe it or not, there are churches who'll do it. They collect you know massive email addresses and um, you know sell it to third party companies, and those companies will spam them and all this other stuff. And there are limits on what you can do, but there are some churches who do it. I'd never advise it. I don't think that's good for, no, for people no. who come to your church, but people do it. So do you ever sell data? Do users on your website have passwords? And if so, how are those passwords used? What uh, what does that password allow somebody to access that not the rest of the world uh, ha- has access to? So, uh, you know, do you have those passwords, and does the church have access to those passwords? Uh, and most important, we're going to have a completely separate episode just on this issue. But how does your church interact with children online? Mm-hmm. And this is something that a lot of church leaders don't think about. We interact with children online all the time. We want them to come to the website, especially. You know, I know of student ministries who have their own student ministry website, not mm-hmm. just their own web page, but the website. And so, how are we interacting? Are we collecting data? Are we doing signups where children can sign up for things? And if so, that raises a whole nother specter of issues uh, under the Children's Online Privacy Act, or COPA. Uh, and, and so we've got to make sure that we uh, are really, really paying attention uh, to those things. You've got to have this privacy policy available, and you've got to tell people what your policy is in terms of the data that you collect. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a, I'll, I'll ask this question ahead of time too, but um, when using third-party software, so I know um, Planning Center is a yeah. big is a big uh, software that is very helpful to churches, especially check-in process for um, children's events and, and ministry like that. Um, with Planning Center, you know, letting people know, do they need to say on your website, hey, we use a third-party software that collects that information and this is where it's stored? Do they have to go into that much detail? I would. You know, the more information you put out there about how you use people's data and who has access to that data. You know, when we're talking about where that data is stored, you don't have access to Planning Center's data or to ACS or whatever other software that you use. You don't control that. You have access to it, but you don't control it. They control it. They have servers off-site that, that house all that data. Uh, and so, yeah, I think you need to tell people that. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because we're going to have not only an entire other podcast episode on how we interact with children online, we're going to have an entire other podcast episode specifically dealing with software as a service because there are so many different software as a service agreements out there that churches um subscribe to, uh, mm-hmm. be it church management software or um, you know Microsoft uh, 365 or whatever the case may be. Those are all software as a service things. And you've got to know what you're signing up for and what agreement you have and who's responsible under what circumstances. And sometimes churches are even going so far as to have custom-designed uh, software as a service. Uh, and if that's the case, who owns the code? Who owns the uh, all, you know all the different components of that software? So whole 
huge deal there uh, mm-hmm. that yeah. that we have to have a whole other episode about. But absolutely, I would go into as much detail as you can on your privacy policy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we, we talk about, you know, we've talked about policies in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have whole other episodes on those. So make sure you guys check those out as well. But, uh, you know, going into this next point, better church websites have accessible terms and conditions. Yeah. You know, a lot of times uh, church leaders will ask me, they'll say, well, what's the difference? Uh, I, th- I thought we had terms and conditions because we have a privacy policy. Well, nope, it's completely different. Now, your terms and conditions may reference your privacy policy. Uh, They may be, you know, predicated on the notion that the user has read that privacy policy and accepts that privacy policy. Uh, But your privacy policy just says, here's what we do with your data and here's how we protect your privacy. Your terms and conditions are what say, listen, here here are the circumstances, here's the environment which you can use our website. Uh, and it's a completely separate deal. And you want to have an agreement with the rest of the world that says, here is how you can use our website. And so these terms and conditions are a contract. Okay, it is, it is a contract. And so you need to know who are the parties. Well, it, the church is the party, but who else might be out there? It could be um, anybody who's going to access the website. Uh, it could be anybody who accesses your church's Facebook page or your church's Twitter account. Okay, all those all those are different uh, different people or different parties to this, these terms and conditions and who uses this, uh, your website and interacts with you online, uh, you need to talk about how that website can be accessed uh, in your terms and conditions. Uh, And that's what we call means of entry. And so, listen, these terms and conditions apply whether you access us on a desktop, a laptop, mobile device, or tablet. Uh, or if you're really advanced, your Apple Watch or, or other smart technology, whatever. Uh, these terms and conditions apply whether you come to our website, whether you log into our church management software, whether you're on our Facebook page, Twitter account, LinkedIn, whatever. Uh, these are all different means of entry, and you've got to cover all of those in your uh, terms and conditions. Uh, you need to talk about how old a user must be, okay? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a huge deal. If, if you don't have terms and conditions that specifically say, in order to use this website, you must be over the age of 13, then automatically you're going to be subject to federal regulations and federal laws that govern how uh, you market to children, how you interact with children online. Uh, and there, there's a, there are high standards and high burdens that we've got to really be careful with. So uh, you need to have that on there. You need to talk about copyright issues. Man, churches mm, are pushing yes. out intellectual property on their websites all the time. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, Churches are also allowing users to post on their website, and so they may have a, a private page where they post prayer requests or little Bible studies or devotionals or things like that that the church generates. So you need to talk about copyright issues on your website and, and on any other uh, platform in which people can interact with your church. And so how can they use the content that you put on your website? Uh, how can the church use the content that other people put on your website or on your Facebook page or if they tweet you or whatever? Um you need to have what's called a takedown notice so that if somebody says, hey, you published a song that's mine and you don't have the right to do yeah. that, or you published graphics that you ripped off the internet that I have the copyright for and you're not allowed to do that, they have to have the ability to contact your church and contact a specific person who is responsible for pulling that content down if it is subject to copyright, just like YouTube does. YouTube yeah. has a has a takedown notice and it's kind of infamous because it's kind of the epitome of what it means to have a copyright <laughs> takedown notice on your website. Yeah. But ultimately they have to do that because people post videos and that's copyrighted material a lot of times. So yeah. uh, you've got to talk about those things. You've got to also have a way in which people can acknowledge that they accept those terms and conditions. Now, 
There's four different ways that you can do that, uh, and you've probably done all of these at some point in time uh, when, when you've been interacting with other businesses or organizations online. One is called browse wrap. That just means basically uh, if you use the website, if you browse on this website, you automatically accept the terms and conditions. Okay, uh, That may be a little bit difficult to enforce in court yeah, uh, if it became yeah. an issue. Okay. So browse wrap is, is kind of the lowest level of acknowledgement that you're going to get. You can also go up and say, well, okay, we'll, we'll do click wrap, which basically means you actually have to click that little radio button that says, I accept these terms and conditions or uh, click the, I accept button on a pop-up window and boom, now you've got their assent that they're using that website. Uh, another one is called scroll wrap, which basically is, is that instance or instance when you have to scroll all the way down to the bottom of the terms and conditions and then click I accept. It doesn't work unless you're all the way down at the bottom because now the implication is, well, you scrolled all the way to the bottom. You had the opportunity to read our terms and conditions. Yeah. Uh, so you can't say you didn't read it or that you were forced into to sign this thing. And then another one's called login wrap where you actually have to log in. Not a great option for churches, but it could be on some functions. Yeah. Uh, if you need to have separate terms and conditions for certain functions of your website uh, that are behind you know, a password-protected area, uh, then in that case, maybe having that login wrap is a good thing. So th- these are all different ways that you can acknowledge those terms and conditions, but you've got to have those out there because if somebody is somehow hurt by the use of your website, either because copyrighted information is on there that shouldn't be there, or you're interacting with children and those children give away data and that data is stolen, or you don't have good data security in in place and, and you don't have these terms and conditions in place that minimize your liability for data security issues, all of those things are going to come into play, and and we'll have a whole other episode on data security as well. But ultimately, you've got to have these terms and conditions in place in order to protect your church from any number of things that could happen while you're interacting with somebody else online. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was at a conference this last weekend, and someone who was a reputable speaker was talking, and they say, yeah, you know, if you're you know needing graphics and stuff, and you go out to Google, and you, you save that image, and you put that on your blog— and all the red flags just went up like crazy. And, it, and even in the world of I'm, I expect this person to understand copyright issues and copyright law, it was one of those moments like, yeah, you don't do that. So this yep. is a call to churches because it happens all of the time. You yep. see these these images, and there are tons of free stock websites out there that you can download that stuff, but never, ever Google an image and save that and use that as your own because yep. that is the quickest way to get in trouble. Yep. And again, if you don't have these these uh, policies and everything, your terms and conditions set up in place where somebody can contact you, that's a big deal. It is. Yep. So. It really is. Can can cause problems for your church. So. All right. Better church websites are accessible by the disabled. This one's a little interesting. It is, yeah. Uh, you know, so a few years ago, the um, Americans with Disability Act was interpreted to require that websites be uh, accessible by people who are disabled, just like you have to have a facility that's accessible by the disabled. Now, the first objection that I often hear is, hang on, that particular provision of the Americans with Disabilities Act, churches are exempt from it. And you're 100% right. Churches are exempt from that. But again, we've talked a lot about the law on this podcast, but we also talk a lot about ethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so let me first start with a legal analysis of this. Number one, the basis for that exemption is that there are certain denominations and certain religious uh, orders or, or, or religious preferences in which their facilities have to be built a certain way. And so the reason they said, yeah, we're going to do an exemption here is to say that 
we're not going to interfere with the religious construction of buildings for religious purposes, because if we do that, then we may be stepping over First Amendment rights, not mm-hmm. just disabled rights. Yeah. Okay, I get that for buildings. Okay, I mean, you look in, in Scripture, you see God had very specific requirements for the temple and the tabernacle. Okay, I, I get that. So there are always going to be circumstances in which uh, some religious preferences or some religious beliefs, be it Christian or non-Christian, are, are going to affect the way we build our buildings. We don't want to have infringe on that First Amendment right. Okay, I get that. There's nothing in Scripture or really in any other religious text that I'm aware of that uh, speaks to the use of a website. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, And so I think that particular exemption, the, the, the rational basis for that exemption is really thin. And so I don't expect that it's going to necessarily hold up against churches. Now let's look at it from an ethical standpoint, though, because when we start taking, t- taking the 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 legal exemption out of it, we start talking about the exemption, the, the, the ethical aspect of it. Are we ethically exempt from ministering to people with disabilities? Mm. No, we're, we're yeah. not. We're not, not, we're, not, we're not exempt from that at all. And so we need to, if not for legal protection, because that, that exemption is legally pretty thin, uh, for ethical reasons, yeah. Yeah. we need to have accessible websites uh, by people who are disabled. Uh, and so the way that we do that, there's an acronym you can remember, P-O-U-R, POOR. All right. Your website has to be perceivable. It has to be operable. It has to be understandable. And it has to be robust. And all four of those things correlate to one or more sensory uh, functions uh, that we have as human beings. Okay. One, one of those is vision. Okay. We have to be able to uh, see things. And for those who are blind, who have that disability, they still have to be able to use a website, which means your website needs to be compatible with text-to-speech software that they'll have installed on their computer. So when they pull up your website, their computer is able to read the text on it so that they can hear it and they can navigate your website, okay? So there's vision, there's hearing, okay? There are some who are deaf. And so uh, you'll notice on YouTube a lot of times and on Facebook, you'll notice that people are starting to put captions on uh, their videos. And it's gotten re- Facebook and YouTube and and other software co- uh, video companies like that are doing really well with being able to scan that and get all of the words. I mean, they, they play that video and their software is able to take the words that are said and put it uh, in that file. And then you just go in and clean it up a little bit where the computer makes an error. So you need to have that kind of functionality for people who are deaf and can't hear your video. They need to be able to read the sermon. And and listen, wouldn't it be great if somebody who was deaf and could not hear a preacher preach the Word of God could read a preacher mm-hmm. preaching the Word of God? Okay, yeah. And it's easy. It's, it's, it's not a difficult process to, in, in, in order to be able to do that. So uh, you, you've got to be perce- – the website has to be perceivable to those with vision issues or with hearing issues. Uh, but it also has to be operable. Your website has to be operable. And somebody with Huntington's disease or Parkinson's disease, they're going to have a hard time operating a mouse. And so there's got to be other ways in which they can maneuver through your website. Even if they can hear perfectly and they can see perfectly, there has to be a way in which they can actually click on something on your website without having to use a mouse. And so you've got to have that type of functionality on your website. It has to be understandable, which means that somebody with cognitive difficulties needs to be able to understand what's going on in your website. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it has to be reasonable. You don't have to go in, into to great detail and you don't have to um, completely change the structure of your website, but it does have to be something where they can 
uh, understand what the website is trying to do. Okay, yeah. they've got to write as as a disabled person to do that. And so, and then finally, it's got to be robust, which means, uh, and, and really, this there's kind of some crossover between robust and operable. But you know, no broken links, uh, no real confusing click chains that get you from one place to the other. You know, limit your the number of clicks it takes you to get from one place to another. Kind of flatten your website out instead of having this this kind of hierarchy of a sitemap. Um, uh, but it's got to be robust. People have to be able to maneuver through it well, uh, and they have to be able to understand it uh, as well. And that's that's part of that robustness is that they've got to be able to cognitively be aware of how that website works. And if it's broken, if you've got broken links, if it's not real clear where you're supposed to click or anything like that, then you could find yourself um, with a disabled person who can't use your website because it's just not robustly built. And so uh, those are some things that you can do in order to uh, really beef that up. Yeah, absolutely. When you, you hit on the ethical part, right? I mm-hmm. mean, our website, we should be able to minister to those people that are in need, obviously. Yeah. And so it is one of those things that, I mean, I think on a design level as well of being able to design a website that flows, that people know where they want to get a resource. It makes it easy to, to click on that. Um, you don't have to go digging through a bunch of stuff. And that, that should be our are calling anyway to make sure that just as like we're delivering a Sunday morning service, they need to be able to receive it very well, may, needs to be communicated well. And so I think these are all best practices, even though it obviously falls in with yeah, the law as well. Absolutely. You know, I may be aging myself a little bit or dating myself a little <laughs> bit here, but I remember homebound ministry growing up where we would record the sermon on a cassette tape and take it to the homebound. And and yep. that was, that. I was, I was a young child. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and try to save some of my, my youth here. I was a young child when we did that. But I also remember being a teenager, a little bit older, we recorded on DVDs yeah, uh, or CDs, yeah. and we would take that to the homebound. And now we don't have to do that. I mean, we still need to go visit them. We still need to sit down with them and, and build relationships and disciple them and pray with them. Uh, but at the same time, they don't have to wait two or three days for us to do that. They can get Sunday morning access to the gospel by the internet, yeah, it's right there, and so uh, those are all things that can be done uh, and should be done in order to minister to the disabled in our communities. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, make another plug, I guess, for us here too. I mean, we do that at Go Rogue X. We we try to make it as easy, easily ex- accessible uh, for anyone, whether that be captions or videos or whatever else on the back end and social media graphics. Because again, we want the message of the gospel to go out, and we'll do whatever it, it is uh, to make sure that's that's uh, done in the right way. Yeah. Absolutely. So definitely go check out Go Rogue X. Uh, certainly uh, at the church episode, group. Yeah, yeah there you go. This is going to be sponsored by Go Rogue X. But, um, yeah, but everything else, obviously, church law group, uh, it'll be on yeah, there as well. This yeah, is, we've got some sample policies. You can go out there and, and, and download. Love for you to, to go check those out. Happy to, to provide those to anybody who needs them. So Absolutely. definitely go check those out. All right. That's been another episode of Law and Church, and all the resources we've talked about today will be in the show notes. Uh, you can get those show notes on the Church Law blog at thechurchlawgroup.com or on our podcast website at lawandchurch.com. And of course, the show notes will always be available in your favorite podcasting app. That's right. And go do us a favor. Please go subscribe and review to our podcast. Listen, our heart is for the local church, and there are church leaders who really need to hear this stuff. And your review and subscription of the podcast just makes it that much more likely. 
And certainly we're going to be talking about stuff next week uh, that you're going to want to hear as we go into more detail. So uh, your subscription is also going to help make sure that you have access to that. And so uh, go do that. And then also make sure to go join the Church Law Group on Facebook. Just go to Facebook, search Law and Church, and you will find that group. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Yep, And we will uh, see you next week.